want us all to take a moment, um, perhaps maybe even close your eyes just for a moment. I don't want you to fall asleep. Um, close your eyes for just a moment and imagine, if you will, your strongest desire. Okay? Your strongest desire. Um, Think about that thing that popped into your head first, not the second more spiritual holy thing that popped into your head, but that first one there. And what is that? Is it the success of your business or something to do with your family or your lack of family? Is that something to do with the right college or getting the right job? What is that ultimate desire of your heart? I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we reflect on God's word together, that ultimate desire of your heart. You can open your eyes now. Thank you. See most of you. I've retained. Good. Um, you familiar with the Toy Story series of movies? Uh, certainly you've heard of them if you haven't seen them. Um, this one of them, if you haven't seen them, by the way, they're a fabulous trilogy of movies. You need to see them. Um, it's, they chronicle the lives of Andy's toys. Um, these toys live in Andy's room. They have a world and a life of their own when Andy, their owner, is not there. But the, the deepest longing and desires of their hearts are to be played with by Andy. They love hanging out together, but, but when Andy's there and getting played with by Andy, and it doesn't matter how beat up they get or where they get thrown, at the end of the day, all they want to do is to be played with and enjoyed by their owner, Andy. Now, in the second installment of this movie series, we have Woody, Andy's um, initially his favorite toy, but, but by this movie, he's, he's kind of tied up there with Buzz Lightyear for the favorite toy. Woody is a cowboy, and Woody accidentally gets sold in the yard sale Andy's mom was having while he was at summer camp. He actually doesn't get sold. His mom doesn't actually sell him. I think about it. He is stolen by a um, toy collector. This toy collector has seen Woody. Woody is the one piece he's missing to complete his collection. He takes Woody and he brings him to his house. And there, Woody is introduced to Jesse, the cowgirl, Bullseye, the horse, and the prospector. And not to mention the fact that he was the leader of Woody's Roundup Gang. Woody's Roundup Gang was marketed on things such as lunchboxes and blankets and pillowcases and posters. You can imagine you've seen the princesses from Disney or the Avengers series. That's the sort of thing Woody is just now realizing that he's a part of. And all this is to say that when Woody meets these other toys, Jesse and the Prospector and Bullseye the Horse, the one desire of their hearts is to be loved and appreciated. And the only way they know to get it is to have their collection complete so that they can be put in a museum and displayed. The full collection of Woody's Roundup Gang, finally appreciated and displayed and looked at by millions of toy fans around the world. Their desire 
was fame in a museum. The only way they knew to get there was to be complete and to be themselves and to be this sort of radiant vision of Woody's roundup gang. And I think that is the problem with our spiritual condition as well. You see, these toys were desiring the wrong things. Woody, Buzz, and his friends, they knew the love of Andy, and they knew that desire, and that's all that they wanted. But these other toys, they wanted their own fame and their own satisfaction. They were desiring the wrong things. And not only that, they were trying to get them the wrong way, based on their own abilities and their own status. And at the end of the day, these toys could never be satisfied by this fleeting glimpse of approval and attraction from others. How famous could Woody's Roundup Gang really be? How long could it really last? At the end of the day, they too would be unsatisfied. And I think that's our problem as well. We desire the wrong things. We rely on our own works to get them. And once we have them, we're never satisfied. And we see in our reading this morning that Jesus wants to take that, take these wrong desires, take these wrong works, take this dissatisfaction. He wants to, he wants to change it. He wants to turn it upside down. He wants to, to point us in the right direction. He wants to show us how to get there. And he wants to show us that when we do get there, we'll be fully and truly satisfied. So we're in John chapter 6. Fabulous passage. If you've got it, pull it up on your phones, open it up in your Bibles, whatever you need to do. I suggest you look on in this passage. John chapter 6, we will be beginning-ish around verse 24, 25, and I'm going to reference this, and um, you can look on when, you re- when I reference it. I think it's helpful. I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust God's Word, and so please consider looking at this. Jesus has just fed, and we read this last week, he's just fed 5,000 men, miraculously, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And it sparked something in the people who ate. They saw, they thought he was the prophet like Moses. They wanted to make him king, and so they tried to get him, and Jesus saw what was happening, and he left. He went to the other side of the lake. He actually chose an unusual means of transportation. He used his feet to walk across the water. The crowd, not all of them at this point, but some of them follow him to the other side. They ask him, when did you come here? It's kind of a curious question because they had observed that all the boats left, Jesus hadn't left, and then all of a sudden Jesus was on the other side. But they don't ask how he got there. They ask, when did you get there? And here we see Jesus beginning his work. First, he wants to change their desires. When did you get here? Um, remember the prayer. We pray it now every, every Sunday morning. Um, the colic for purity, right? We say, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open. And what's the next part? All desires known. Jesus knew their desires. They asked a simple question. Hey, what time did you get here, Jesus? And he looks at them in verse 26, and he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus, they ask Jesus a question about time, and he gives them an answer about their desires. 
And they desired Jesus, not because of who he was, or not because of the sign that they had seen, but because they wanted full stomachs. They wanted to be satisfied. Jesus is revealing the real motivation behind their seeking him. They wanted to be satisfied. He wants them seeking him because of the signs. When you read John's gospel, it's often called the book of signs. Um, and, and there at the end, I think in chapter 20, if you read chapter 20, you would see a little paragraph in there that says, I've written this book, I've recorded these signs so that you might see and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The purpose of the sign is to point to Jesus. And the, this crowd saw the sign, they saw the feeding of the 5,000, and the only thing they were thinking about was not Jesus, but how they could get more of the sign. They wanted more of the gift. They didn't actually care that much about the giver. The only use they had for Jesus was the gifts that they could give, that he could give. They wanted him to fill their wrong desires. They wanted him to fulfill their wrong desires. They want to get more bread. And so Jesus goes on to tell them in verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. The crowd, they're laboring for this food. And in some ways, a very literal laboring to get fed. It's a hard life in the Judean wilderness. It's a hard life getting the food that you need to survive day in and day out. It's a very real thing to pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. But at the same time, they weren't desiring the ultimate thing, the ultimate thing, the relationship with God. They might have been desiring good things, bread, food for your family. That's a good thing to want. But at the end of the day, the ultimate desire needs to be Jesus Christ. And he wants to focus them in on that and change that and say, listen, guys, you're laboring for the wrong things. You're laboring for food which will perish. And this could be very literal food, but at the same time, it's also, um, what are the things that we're laboring for that have no lasting significance? Is it success in the job? Is it the perfect family or the perfect home or the perfect status in your society? How long, how long will those things last you? Certainly not eternally. Some of them, perhaps, they could last you till you die. And then 50 years, 100 years? Who's going to remember that? So many of our desires are not eternally focused. And Jesus wants to change all of this. He's offering us something that endures till eternal life. Something that will never fall away. Something that will never stop. And so he says, don't labor for this food that perishes, don't labor for these things, these desires of your heart, they're going to perish. Instead, labor for something more and something greater that will never perish. And it's interesting because the people 
hear this. They actually are quite happy to have their desires changed. They're on board. They, they, they want what's going on. Now, they don't understand the spiritual aspect of it. They certainly don't understand Jesus, but they can envision and want and desire a world where they don't have to labor day in and day out for food that is going to perish. They're willing to admit that their current desires are imperfect, and they're willing to seek this satisfying food that never perishes. And so they asked Jesus there in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And so the second thing Jesus does after he sort of redirects their desires, he redefines this understanding of work. They're willing to consider that they're working for the wrong things, the food that perishes, but they've not come to the realization that their works themselves, their own efforts, are actually part of the problem. The only category they have for obtaining their desire is by working hard for it. When their desire was a full stomach, they labored for food. If your desire is Success, you labor to get success in the eyes of others. If your desire is money, you work long hours in the right job to get more money, or at least you strive for it. Their only category for understanding how to achieve their desires was works. And so now that they are desiring something greater and something more, and they realize that it can only come from God, they say, we must be doing the work of God. How do we do these works so that we can have This bread that you've caused us to desire. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Certainly they expected an Old Testament example, right? Ten Commandments, perhaps. You obey those, you can do the works of God. Love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule. You you obey that, do the works. You'll be doing the works of God. Take care of the poor, social justice. Do those things. You'll be doing the works of God, and then you'll be satisfied, right? Not what Jesus says. You read on in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe. That's it. You don't actually do anything. You, you believe, and you believe in your head, and you believe in, in your heart, and that's a lot harder, actually, than doing something. But, but Jesus says, if you want to do the works of God, the, the work of God is this, believe. It actually doesn't require work, it requires faith. I think, in fact, I'm, I'm certain, that this is a consistent problem throughout the church, throughout the history of the church, and across the borders of the church. We are not content to simply allow Jesus to save us. We're not content with that. We can't just allow him to do it. We've got to earn it, right? We want to earn that salvation. What's the end of of, of Private Ryan, right? Um, The commander, uh, who was played by Tom Hanks, looks at Ryan as he's being carted out right of the war zone okay these, they've gone in and they've lost all these lives trying to rescue this one man and they rescue ryan and he's being sent out and the commander looks at him and he says ryan earn this 
earn this salvation we've given you. And the, the movie ends with Ryan weeping at the grave of that commander. And he says, tell me I've earned it. Make my life worth something. Tell me that I've earned it. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say earn this. That's a message we're giving to ourselves. That's a, a message we're putting on our own hearts. We're setting up rules and we're setting up expectations. Some are spoken, some are unspoken. We're setting up prerequisites for faith. And then we say things like, if he really believed in Jesus, he would do this. If she really believed in Jesus, she would do this. If I really believed in Jesus, then I would be doing these things. I would be earning it. But if our works are the basis for our faith, where would that leave us? Where does it leave us on those Sunday mornings when you come to church, but you're just not feeling it during worship? What does that mean for your faith? What does it mean if you keep falling asleep while you're trying to pray? What does it mean if you keep falling back into those old habits, if you can't quite fix that broken relationship? We can't base our inheritance on the food and the work that is going to perish. Grace doesn't lead us to living the right kind of life. Grace gives us the freedom to acknowledge that we cannot. Grace doesn't lead us to living the right life. It gives us the freedom to acknowledge that we cannot. Think about it this way. A life whose focus is on works or on the outward appearance that the works produce is always dependent on the approval of someone or something else, okay? If your life, even if you're Christian, if, if you said, I believe in Jesus Christ, but that life of faith is dependent on obeying the rules, then it's actually dependent on someone else. So, for instance, if you're a rule follower... Your success in doing that is dependent on the approval of the people who make the rules. If the people who make the rules don't think you're following them correctly, your life is a failure. If you're a rule breaker, then your life is dependent on the people who break the rules. If the people who break the rules say you're breaking the rules in the wrong way, your life is a failure. If your life is focused solely on doing the works of God, then your success is dependent on your own ability. And I know most of you. It's not that great. It is good. Mine's not good eating the great either. Our own ability can't, we can't be holy. We can't be perfect. And so Jesus said, they asked Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus redefines works. Work, the works of God are, are not doing anything but believing in the one who's already done the work. And that leads us then to our final point. Jesus is both the object of our desire, the true object of our truest desires... And he is the means of achieving it. 
So he's not only the object of the desire, but he is the means for achieving it. And so they have some further discussion. And finally, you know, this crowd is on board. They're, they're actually tracking with Jesus. And they're saying, okay. And, they're, and they're, he's taking them one step at a time. They're doing some baby steps. And finally, they, they look at him. Okay? They look at him here in verse um, 20, 34. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. You've changed our desires. We know what we're supposed to want. You've changed our understanding of works. We know how we're supposed to get it. You're supposed to give it to us. And so please, Jesus, give us this bread always. And Jesus responds, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. I am the true object of your truest desires. I am the thing you've long sought. You know what Augustine says? He says, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. Jesus is the object of our restless hearts, and he is the means for giving it. Believe in me. And come to me. And so Jesus has called us to change our misdirected desires. He's called us to change our misdirected works. And so our desire should be the work of Jesus. The work of the one who loved us enough to die for us. To pay the penalty for our sin so that we might have eternal life. And he didn't do that because y'all are great people. He didn't do that because I'm a good person. He did it because he made us and he loves us. And when we acknowledge that belief, we acknowledge that faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our lives actually do begin to get transformed now. We're no longer dependent on our own weak abilities. We're no longer dependent on the approval of others. Our lives are solely dependent on the one who gave his life for us without us doing anything at all to earn it. Thus, Jesus is the bread of life, the only one who can truly satisfy our eternal longings. I want to close with two points of application, okay? Two things um, that, that sort of really, I hope, really drive this home and are applicable to you today. And some of you, um, for one, are saying, well, I do, I do, I believe in Jesus. I understand this message of works. And, and you actually get it, but, but you're acknowledging, and I will acknowledge this, this is actually a hard thing to do. To completely give up our own self-reliance and our own trust in ourselves and actually follow Jesus and trust him. To give up our faith and trust in our own abilities is a very difficult thing to do. And so we might be able to say this with our words or or say it with our minds, but when the rubber meets the road, we realize that following Jesus wells up in our heart wants and desires to do things that are different, that are countercultural, and that are very difficult. And so we realize that following Jesus makes us want 
Okay, you don't have to, but it makes us want to maybe give generously or maybe mend a relationship that has been broken for years and years, change the way um, we are living our lives. This can be very scary things to do. But Jesus is causing us to want to do them. And so the question is, how can I trust that? If you have been estranged from your brother or sister or from your father for 20 years, and you sense that Jesus, because you want to and because you love him, would love for you to call your father up, you are risking a lot. Right? If you realize that following Jesus is making you want to give up that desire for a drink or three or four or five every night. You're really going to risk a lot to try to do that. So how can you trust Jesus? I want to focus on one phrase here. This is back up in verse 27. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. On Jesus, God the Father has set the seal. Do you know what that means? Um, Many of you might have a ring from a college or a high school, and it might be a a signet ring, right? Um, And in the old days, the king had a signet ring, and if he sent out a message, he would write it or have somebody write it for him. He put it in a letter. He'd, He'd dip his ring in hot wax, and he would seal that envelope With his signet ring, the envelope had the seal of the king on it. And that meant that whatever was inside was true and authoritative because it came from the king. Jesus has the seal of the Father. He has the seal of God on him. That what he says, what he does you can absolutely trust, not because of, 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 of any sort of human understanding, but because God has sealed Jesus. And so John Calvin puts it this way. The desire of those who shall present their souls to Christ to be fed by him will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed if you set your desires on Christ. Our misdirected desires are sealed not with the seal of God, but with our own fickle hearts, with the whims of the culture. Some of your clergy have these unhealthy desires for new and significant iPhones. (laughs) Gary's got his. But do you remember there was a day when I used to crave a cell phone that was about this big, right? And this fat and a battery life that lasted for two hours. Or maybe some of you had those bag phones in your cars. My dad had one actually plugged into his car. It was amazing. But do you see what I'm saying? Those desires are fickle. They're fading. They won't last. If we went back to our Woody example, Woody actually gets caught up in the desires of these new toys and he actually wants to be famous and he wants to be viewed by millions and it's only when Buzz comes to rescue him 
And Buzz shows him what is written on the bottom of his foot. On the bottom of Buzz's foot is written one word in kind of scraggly combination of uppercase and lowercase letters. It says, Andy. Buzz was sealed by Andy. When Woody sees that, he knows that Buzz's message, come back to the love you know, come back to your heart's desire. Look, I'm sealed by the one who loves you more than anything else in this world. That's what changes Woody's mind. And he goes back. Jesus has been sealed by the Father. And those of us who know Jesus have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Final application. This one's shorter. This is an invitation for you to rest from your labors. Think about to that one desire that you, we thought about right at the beginning of the sermon. Are you tired of pursuing that? Is it wearing you out? I mean, quite literally, if you looked at your calendar, okay, if you gave your calendar to a random visitor from Mars, what would he say is the most important thing in your life? And are you tired of pursuing that? Like physically worn out? Mentally worn out, spiritually worn out, whatever it is, are you, are you tired? Jesus is saying, do not labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that endures into eternal life. And that labor actually looks like rest. That labor actually looks like faith. That labor looks like belief. My yoke is easy, Jesus says, and my burden is light. Are you tired of seeking others' approval? Are you tired of trying to save yourself from whatever demons that have been chasing you for your whole life? Are you tired? Jesus is the bread of life. He wants you to rest and be satisfied in him. And when you do that, you will have food that endures to eternal life. And one day you will finally and truly rest from all of your labors. Jesus will look at you and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. But not because of anything you did. but Because of the fact that you trusted in the one who did everything for you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you're offering us bread that endures until eternal life. Your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would stop our striving for things that are of no consequence in eternity. Stop our burdens from overbearing us. Ease, Lord. Ease our burdens. Help us trust in the seal that you've put on your son, Jesus. And the seal the Holy Spirit has put on our hearts. May we seek you always, this food that never perishes. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.